Before we move to some of those things from the book of Acts that catalyzed uh, the life of the church, <clears throat> the acts of the Spirit of God in the midst of his people, his church, just want to touch this quickly. And if we had the time, I would have asked you to turn to Psalm 19, so you could maybe make a note of that. Psalm 19 from verse 7 through to 11. It's about the Word of God. Psalm 119 is just all about the Word of God and all the benefits and blessings. But this is a little bit here about that's really important. But I want to just touch what the Bible says about itself. Why, why I believe it's so important and why I believe all of us should see the importance of the Word of God. Just a little quick thing, because I've just put a, most of my, what I wanted to cover today, I've just put aside there. Uh, we're not going to get there. But what does the Bible say about itself? First of all, what it claims to be. The Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. And if you want to look it up in uh, your own time, I'll give you three scriptures amongst a lot of others. But 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17, claims to be the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, and 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Those are just some things you're going to have a look at for yourself. Remind yourself, let God the Holy Spirit just quicken in you again what the Bible says about it. So it says it claims to be the word. Secondly, it claims also to be the truth and to be true. That the word of God is infallible. It's inerrant. has no errors. Some of the translations sometimes use words because the English language, and maybe for those of us who are Dutch or whatever else you may be by native language, some, some of the, the words uh, are not as your language or my language is not always as descriptive, as powerful as the Greek and the Hebrew. So there's quite often a lot of options that the, the uh, translators have had to make a decision what they're going to use. So it can look like that sometimes there's differences, but in actual fact there's not. It's inerrant. It's just giving you another option. That's why sometimes it's good just to read through the Amplified because the Amplified tries to give you not all, but give you more of what that could actually, that word could be. So it's good to read that every now and then. Uh, so it claims to be the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says to the Father, your word is truth. Hebrews 6, 17 to 19. Hebrews 6, 17 to 19. Proverbs 30, 5 to 6. So it's John 17, 17. Hebrews 6, 17 to 19. Proverbs 35 and 6. Psalm 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, 6. So those are just part of it claims to be the truth and to be true. It also claims to be relevant and effective. People say, well, I know we need to be relevant. You can't be more relevant than God's relevancy. Seriously. You just cannot be more relevant than God's relevancy. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I read a little bit today, I think, that the Bible is there for teaching, reproof, correction, training, etc., etc. It's relevant. 
It claims to be. Romans 15, 4. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Romans 15, 4. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through to 8. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through to 8, and then verse 16. And Isaiah 55, verse 11, where God says, My word shall not return unto me void. Good thing to read. You want to get a really interesting take on that. Read it in the Message Bible. I was going to do that because I even bought the Message Bible in order to do that, but time. All right, so first of all, what it claims it is. Secondly, what does the Bible claim to be like? What are these like? Like when God's trying to describe attributes, He's trying to tell us, this is what I'm like. This isn't what I am. This is what I'm like. And I'm going through in my devotional time every morning, not only Jeremiah, but I'm also going through the book of Revelation. And you'll see that I saw someone on the throne and it was like, and his hair was like, and his feet were like. It wasn't that God, Jesus had literal bronze feet. It's like, and like as a father, and as a chicken, or as a, a hen tries to gather her chicken. He's not saying, I'm a, chick I'm a chicken. Some religions actually believe he's, he's got feathers, because the Bible says he's, a, he's a, you know, a hen. It's like. And so what does the Bible say it is like? It's, he says, it's like a hammer. Jeremiah 23, 29. My word is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that shatters rock. Now this Bible isn't quow, quow, quow. It's like. It's that powerful. That can get break through the hardest heart, the hardest situation. Rock hard, rock solid, rock face, whatever. It's like a hammer. It's also like a fire. Same scripture, Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire? Burns up dross. Incidentally, the difference between the Pentecostal charismatics by and large and the holiness group movement is that they're both talking about the same experience in some senses, but both using a different emphasis. Because someone's talking about the power and others are talking about the fire. Fire cleanses. And when Peter is, Peter's talking to the apostles in the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15, he's saying when he's, in, he's actually being questioned and challenged in a sense that he went to the Gentiles, he says actually the Holy Spirit put no difference between them and us, no distinction, purifying their hearts by faith. So the holiness movement uses that. And the Pentecostal, by and large, reject that. Not all, but some. Instead of seeing it's there, they say, no, that's not what the emphasis is. It's power. And that, this holiness group has done exactly the same with the power. By and large, not everyone. And I've been part of both groups. And I see that both are there. God's word cleans up the dross of our lives. 
When we claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul Peter was talking about, he put no difference between them and us. He doesn't talk about the speaking in tongues. And yet he could have, because in that room, in the upper room in Acts 2, there was also wind, which talks about power, and there was fire settled, looked like cloven tongues of fire on their heads. The cleansing, purifying, power and purity. You with me? I hope that enlarges some of us to stop just sticking to these small little things. All right, it cuts through, the, and it, it, it sets our hearts ablaze. Fire sets ablaze. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up in its glowing. We used to sing that years and years and years ago. <clears throat> also, the Word of God is like a sword. Ephesians 6, 17. Hebrews 4, 12. It can actually rightly divide, cut right into and separate soul, spirit. It gets right in there. And it's also a weapon. The Word of God not only gets in there and sorts out motives, it's a, it also it's a weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's also a lamp and a light. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, is what Psalm 119 Verse 105 and verse 130 also talks about it. Psalm 119, verse 105, and also Psalm 130. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 130. Next one, it's like water. I think I've talked about that. Ephesians 5, 26. The thing about water is that it's refreshing, it's cleansing, and that there's a very real sense in that water energizes. You see, guys, when they're running, they've got to keep themselves watered up. Otherwise, you just dehydrate and energy's gone, finished. And that's what the Word of God, when I go to the Word of God, this is what I, I actually pray that most mornings to the, when I go to the Word of God, Lord, let your Word be to me a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Show me yourself. Feed me on the bread. Feed me on the meat. Feed me on the milk. Make it honey to my heart and life. Some stuff like that. Clear up all my perplexities while I'm looking into your word. Your word is wisdom. Make it that to me this morning, etc. Not formula. Don't do it every day, but kind of along those kind of lines. Like water. It's like seed. Luke 8, 11. Seed that grows and that proliferates. It claims, this is, these are the things that the Word of God claims about itself, it's, that it's like. But it says in John 6, 63, that God's Word is spirit and life. Spirit and life. It's a mirror, the next little thing, through which we see ourselves as we really are, with the hope, because it's also not only a mirror but a lens, and the, the hope that we look at ourselves and say, whoa, that's failing. But the lens is in Jesus. He's done it all for us and we can have it. And it can be imparted to us if we'll just see ourselves like he sees us and not only what we see wrong when we look at the mirror. Now to some of us, all we see is the mirror. 
I'm just like, this is where, man, I'm just useless. And others as won't even look at the mirror. We're just saying, well, this is what I am in Christ through the lens. You've got to have both because the Bible is both. And that's why I believe we must read all of God's Word through the lens of Jesus, the Word made flesh. He is the living Word. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Son. Full of two things, grace and, not just grace, full stop, grace and truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father, etc., etc. So the word became flesh. John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1.14, 1, Revelation 19.13, Revelation 19.13. Talking about Jesus, he says he's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So we need to read it all. I'm talking about through the lens still of Jesus. He is God's communication. Jesus and his Word is God's communication with humanity. And in his grace and mercy, he wants to do it through the church. If you want to know what God is like, we get, can see the clearest picture, get the best view through Jesus. How do you deal with sinners? How do you deal with failures? How do you feel with desperate people? How does God feel? Well, just look at how Jesus... All right, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own, John 14, 10, on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. And you could look at John 14, verses 5 through to 14 as well. So not only, is, does he communicate, uh, not only must we read all of the God's word through the lens of Jesus, who is the Lord, if we want to know what God's like, we need to do it the clearest views through Jesus. And thirdly, if we want to know and become like the Father, it's going to be through Jesus, the Word. Jesus says in 1 John 1, 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. All right, fourthly, it is Jesus, through Jesus by His Spirit, that shows us the future. When we get into the Word of God and we're seeing it through the lens of Jesus, we can see our future. We can see the future. It actually says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them who love Him. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit, who searches all things, even the deep things of God, etc. And it goes on at the, towards the end of that. And we have the mind of Christ. We have all in Christ. Ephesians 2, 10. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared in advance 
Isn't that amazing? God, before you were born, prepared some good works for you and for me and for us. All right. There's so much more there. You know, just going back to this thing of fire. If we would, and the word of God being like a fire, if we were to measure everything by the word of God, everything we do, we wouldn't mess up, would we? I sometimes wonder when, when it says in 1 Corinthians 3.13 that all our works are going to be tested by fire. I wonder if part of that isn't God saying, you did this, how does that line up? With the word. You said this, how does that line up? All our works tested. I don't think it's exclusively that, but I wonder, very often I sit and contemplate, I can't come up with a clear answer for myself, but I think about it and think, if you say your words fire, could this be part of? Because it's that important. Moving on. What does it claim to be? The Word of God. This is the third major point on looking at the Bible. What does it claim to be, etc., etc.? It's like, what does it claim to do? Through it, we become partakers of the divine nature of God. It says, and uh, I haven't got it written here, but if you make a note of 2 Peter 1, verse 3 through to 11, he's given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through them we are made, these divine promises we are made, that's the word of God, the promises. We are made partakers of the divine nature. We lost it in Adam. I know this isn't true, but I'm going to say this. And we further lost it because we're responsible for our own sin. We're not going to be separated from God eternally because of just what Adam did, but because of our own personal sin. So while we didn't really lose more, I want to just say, if you'll just excuse this linguistic kind of elasticity. We lost it in Adam. We lost it by our own personal sin, but in Christ, it's been totally restored. Available through the promises. To the extent that I get into the Word, to the extent that I allow the Spirit of God to take the Word and make it real in me, the divine nature is restored in us. And sometimes you meet people, you say, man, they really genuinely, they just like Jesus. Somewhere or the other, the Word of God, by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, taking the Word, doesn't do it independently without the Word, Word and Spirit. Just does things that, I remember once when I was in, down in, lived in Cape Town, and, uh, I was in this Bible college at Glenvar, and we had this guy come in from, from overseas. He was a, an Irishman, but he was a missionary in India. And he had this fantastic ministry of just grace and just one, genuinely one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met in my whole life. I, I, I said to Anne, I've just, man, I know some real saints, really godly men and women around the world. This guy just takes the cake, as it were. You just meet these kind of people. His name was David McKee. He so impacted my life. 
I'm beginning to wonder if that wasn't where God began in my life, for my life, to open me to more of what the Spirit of God and the baptism in the Spirit was not just the purifying, but also the power and the life of the Spirit in, in such an effective way. We were, we had, Anne and I had this little room in this Bible college, and we had this big conference, and this guy got brought in, and nobody in that movement knew this guy was charismatic. Because we wouldn't use charismatics. But he stood up there, and he, used to, he would stand there and preach. And, and I'm just, I wanted to weep all the time. I don't know, have you ever been where you, you're just feeling, I don't know what to do. I just don't know, just, and I'm, I'm not a weeper. My dad said, cowboys don't cry, man, you, you know. Men on the, men, real men don't cry. You just, that's, that's. Yeah, I know that's bulldust, but you know what I'm, that's what I was brought up on. And I just, would, I just wanted to cry with this guy, really, just so Christ-like. But we had a room across the road, across the passage from him, and the conference was over. And I didn't realize that the leaders that actually picked up this guy was not of our, kill, our kin, or what, 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 what's the word I want anyway, what, just... Well, it was more than a tribe. It's worse more than that anyway. So he, all the, everyone's gone, and we, Anne and I were stuck there for a while. We, we, we didn't, didn't have a way to get back to, from Cape Town back to Johannesburg where we lived, and we were waiting to see what was going to happen. And this guy was waiting there to go and preach at some other place somewhere in, Africa, in South Africa or Africa. And I'd hear this stuff in the morning. He shunned at my what on earth? This is an Irishman. Is that Irish? What is going on here? And I'd hear this guy worshiping and singing in tongues. And, and I, didn't, I think, what? I've never been exposed to this stuff. What's going on? And I sometimes wonder if, if that's where it started for me to say, wait. Because it was only years later that I actually opened myself to speaking in tongues. Years later. Because I was brought up from the day I got converted, that all speaking in tongues is of the devil. That when the Bible came, we, don't, we no longer have any of these things. It's gone. You know that stuff that most of the church used to believe or still maybe still does believe. We no longer have any need for gifts. So I had this resistance, but God took a Christ-like man and started to just melt my heart. To say, Dudley, there's a whole dimension that you know nothing about that I have for you. Don't let prejudices hold you out, hold you back. And I remember the, the day I did get baptized in the Spirit that way. I remember saying to God, God, I want what the book of Acts has. And I think in my mind, I was thinking of David McKee as well. I want that stuff but I don't want to speak in tongues. <laughs> Here I am on the floor of this kitchen in Woodlands in Durban. Come on and speak in tongues. And it's like God saying, this poor boy of mine, man, just said, son, stop asking and just raise your hands and praise me. I just, and something burst inside you. I can only describe it like when you take, and I don't do this, but when I take a champagne bottle and you pop, pop the cork, 
And that stuff starts to, that's what's, and I just started speaking in tongues. Got in my car, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour and a half. I can't remember what it was later. Got in my car, driving up the hill to my home, just speaking in tongues. Christ-like man. Through his his promises, we become partakers of his divine nature. In our relationship with him, through our obedience to his word. His word can save slash deliver us. James 1.21. What it claims to be able to do. This is the second thing. Through it, we become partakers of the divine nature. Secondly, it can save slash deliver us, James 1.21. His word is protection. Everyone knows Psalm 91, but also Psalm 119, verse 11. His word protects us. The more of the word we've got in us, word in us, to me, is like word around us. And I don't believe you can really have word round if you don't have word in. His word also claims to be able to make me and make you make us successful. Joshua one eight. Can you quote it to me? Sorry. That's it. Yeah. All right, so it can protect us, it, can, it makes us successful. Psalm 1, verses 1 through to 6. I wanted to actually start yesterday morning with Psalm 1, 1 to 6. Blessed is he who does not sit, stand, walk, but his hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, who doesn't get, his, you know, it stays green, its leaves don't wither. It keeps bearing fruit. All of that is, that's success. God's word prospers us. And I'm using the word success because the word prosper in its original context was not just restricted to money. It's success at every level. And yes, God's word can bring us financial blessing, God promises we'll have all we need. Some people need more for what they're going to do than others. But whatever it is, God promises, I'll give you everything you need. And that doesn't mean you'll never have a need that God, if you don't have a need, then God can't meet your need. There's sometimes that God will let you have to face a need in order for him to supply the need. And sometimes we've been there, Anne and I, where we're thinking, what are we doing? Now, I'm not there now. By the grace of God, we're doing pretty good. So whenever I talk about these money things, I want to say I'm not trying to suggest anybody gives me one cent. Are you listening to me? It's never in my heart that I want to suggest to you, you give me something. 
just if you're going to give me anything, just go home and do what God says. That's the best gift you can ever give me, but I'm getting sidetracked. But I remember Anne and I, we had this little boy called Clinton. And, I, and we had this little boy called Tyra, and they were both little guys like us. And we moved to this church in Bridell. And this church had no money. It was bankrupt. They moved us into, they said we can stay in the so-called manse, which is, a, in case you don't have a religious background, it's, that's the church-owned house that they provide for you. The manse, M-A-N-S-E, if you want to make a note of that. I hope I'm not treating you like you're stupid, but I know that sometimes people have said, what you, what's a manse? And this man's, yeah, I've got these two little boys and this wife. And I look at this house, the guy takes me around and I'm saying to God, God, is this what you want me to come to? Is there, maybe I'm going to find a text on the wall, something that says this is it and I'm getting nothing. And I'm looking at this house and the ceilings, literally, they're falling in. They're sagging, they've dropped about this much. I don't know how they can stretch that much. Over the, the lintels, over the, the windows, they all dropped, almost every window in the house. There were wooden lintels, and they were dropping. Bricks had come apart, etc. I'm thinking, God, did you call us to this? Is this what you want? And I'm getting no answers, and everything is off-putting. But in it all, God was trying to help me to come to the place of seeing, you've got need, and I'm going to supply it. And then to add insult to injury, if I can use that word in the right sense, we just move in. We, got these, we went up to Kempton Park and bought some second-hand furniture, a few sticks of furniture, though stuff that people didn't want. It wasn't like these op shops today where you get good stuff. I mean, most second-hand stores, you bought junk. And we got these few sticks of furniture. And I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking, God, then we find out I, it's supposed to be if my salary's going to come in, they're going to pay me on a weekly basis. How weak, I can't tell you. But <laughs> <clears throat> then the, this treasurer tells me, you've got no money. Can't pay you a cent. So I'm getting, Anna and I are sitting, I get on our knees. We say, Father, we've got these two boys. We can, we can understand if we've got to go without food. These little boys, what are we supposed to do? And then to add even more insult to injury, there's a knock on the door. I opened up, there's a guy called Daniel who is the gardener of this big 25-acre property. Daniel. don't know if you see the correlation, but nonetheless. <laughs> and he says to me, it's time for me to get paid. Where's my salary? And I'm thinking, I didn't know I was supposed to pay him. I thought the church looked after him. He wasn't working for me. So he's standing there, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking, God, what do I do? We, we haven't, literally haven't got food. We couldn't go and buy a bottle of milk or half a loaf of bread. Nothing. And so I just said to him, Daniel, just give me some time. I got on our knees again. And I wish Anne was here that she could bury this, the truth of the story. Get on our knees. And while we're praying, Father, we, our kids are not going to understand this. They're hungry. It's a knock on the door. I open the door and there's this guy who stands there. This is God supplying our needs. He allows need. He says, I was driving past here. He's a Pentecostal guy. By this time, I haven't got to the Pentecostal thing. 
I'm still anti-penty. <clears throat> God's sense of humor sends this penty to me. And he says, I was driving past you, and as clear as I can hear your voice, I heard God say, stop, go home, get, get one of those lamb, uh, he had sheep, get one of them out of the deep freeze and go and give it to this guy. He said, I went straight home five minutes ago, here it is. Thinking, God, at least we got food, but what about this guy that I've got to pay? Well, to cut a long story short, that same guy, I bumped into him the very next day in the store, and he says, I don't know why. I mean, he's got no time for me. Doesn't even know my name. He says, I'm standing in the store, yeah, and I'm standing here. We're both standing in the store. I didn't even see him. He got this tap. He says, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. You have something like this. God told me to give you this, and it's covered that guy's salary. My dad comes up to see us just within weeks, if not days. I can't remember accurately. He comes up, and my dad was a carpenter who then became the foreman, and then became a manager in, the, in this company, etc., etc. But he was a really good carpenter. And he walks into the church building, and he looks into our house, and he says, I hope all you guys and all the people in this church are ready to die. He said, what are you doing? He said, just look at these ceilings. Even in the church, this thing's going to fall apart. So he extends his leave and fixes it all up. You see... You have needs, and you think, what am I going to do? And without having needs, God can't meet your needs, and God very seldom meets your needs the way you want Him to or the things that you... Th I never would have dreamed my dad. I would have never dreamed a penty. In actual fact, I wonder if I didn't have the, the desperate need, I might have said to him, bro, thanks for the thought, but not, well, not, not where you come from. Anyway. So God's word claims it can make us successful and prosperous. God's word also claims that it will not return void. It will accomplish that for which God sent it, the purpose. Isaiah 55, 11, and God's word says, claims to last forever. It will never not change one jot or tittle, and the word of God abides forever. He, 1 Peter 2, 1, 25 Matthew 5, 18, etc. Now, I would hope to get through that quicker than I did. But let me move on. I want to get now to those things that catalyze some of those things. And I'm going to just pick out three or four chapters and concentrate on them for a little while now this morning or this afternoon. One is Acts chapter 2 and 4, which is an essential chapter, I believe, in the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the actions. His activity, Acts 2, chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and I'm only going to pick a few verses out when we do this, and then Acts 6 and 7, and Acts 6 and 7 show you the importance of proper leadership. In Acts 15, verses 16 through to 18, those are the ones I want to try and concentrate for the next few minutes, or however long that is. In Acts 6 and 7, just I'm coming back to this, but I want to say this. Acts 6 and 7 show you the importance of effective leadership with the right priorities. Acts 6, 1, chapter 6, verses 1, 2 to 6. I quoted, I talked about it earlier on. There's trouble now in this church. 
the Grecians and the, the, the Jewish women are starting to fight each other because they have needs. And there's division brewing. And these guys, because they are the right kind of leaders, they see that that isn't their task. They know what the right priorities are. They are the right kind of leaders. And if you were to spend some time looking at the kind of guys that, that were chosen, it gives you a few things there about their character. See, I spoke about some of the prime ministers and presidents around the world yesterday and that we sometimes confuse character with call and you can get away with that in the world, but not in the church. In the church, leadership, character is a major thing. In actual fact, when Paul writes to Timothy and says, these are the kind of leaders we need, he must be the husband of one wife, etc. Most of those things are what he is, not what he does. I can't remember exactly. I think it's eight or nine out of 11 or 12 things are what he is, character issues, and two or three are what he can do, able to teach. The character, not the lover of, much, of, of filthy lucre, not given to much wine, etc., etc. They character things. So they choose the right character. They choose the right character guys, and then they commission the right guys. Would they got the right priorities? I'll come back and do this a little more in a, in a few minutes. But just bear this in mind: leadership is more caught than taught. Now, I think that the whole internet church is, is missing a big factor. Because let me just explain this to you in case you haven't caught this. Jesus knew about the internet before it came. Before the world was even formed. Jesus didn't get caught off guard the internet. Wow, this is a new thing. Wow. Like us when it first started. If the internet was good enough, Jesus would have done something like that from heaven. No, he came and he mixed with us. He mingled with us. He actually became one of us. He didn't say, I'll tell you what, tune in, get yourself Google or whatever whatever one you want to go on, and just zoom in, man. <laughs> Stay at home and do what you like. Even let me be in the background playing there while you get on with other stuff. You know, he came. And he, you know, when he came to leaders, he chose 12 leaders. He said, come, and one of the things that people miss is that they may be with him. What are you trying to say, Dali? I'm trying to say that leadership is more caught than taught. You cannot get leadership in all of its entirety from watching even this that they're recording. We're going to have, you, you've got to get it. It's like getting 
influenza. These are dangerous things to say right now. I can't catch it through the internet. I can see it's devastation. And when you, with people where you could catch it, and you don't catch it, it's because you've inoculated yourself against catching it. I'm trying to say to you, you need to be good leaders that the people you're going to train for leadership into the future catch. Catch what you've got. What you are. Not just what you're supposed to do. Leadership is more caught than taught. And so leaders need to be to sort out and be sure of what they are called to be and to do and then delegate authority and responsibility to others. I think I've covered some of that. But another thing about leadership that you see in these chapters is that the present leadership's leadership must make room for emerging leaders. Instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, I used to be, if this, this, this isn't true now, but I'll use myself. I used to be one of the three guys with Dudley, one of the in guys, in crowd. Now we're going to make it seven. I might not be what I was before. So you resist. You won't make room for. It's a worse scenario because this is what has been for me from day one of, of me in leadership. God always seems to bring people who can do it better than you to be part of your team. So when you're insecure, you say, I'm not going to make room for them. I'll have them on you because I can't know how to stop it, but I'm not making room for them. Can I ask you just to, to use your brains for a moment? Be honest. Do you want seven guys on your leadership that are just like you? Seriously. Now, in your heart of hearts, you say, in your mind, you're saying, you'd have to be brainless to do But in your heart of hearts, what are you doing when God brings these leaders and you won't make room? You know the number of people around the world that would not make room for me. They just wouldn't. Well, what do you do if they won't make room for you? Well, some guy, I remember one guy saying to me, well, I sat for, I think he said five years, just ignored and I just hung in there and now look, I've got the church. I think you're just one of the few exceptions, and I wonder if you didn't waste five years. If, if you, you see, if what you don't use, you lose. God gives you gifting. That guy with the one talent, he, had, he was given one talent, he just didn't use it, buried it. He lost it. Take it away from him, give it to the guy with the five. What you don't use, you lose. And if you're going to make as a leader, 
You want God to bless the church and keep it growing, make room for people who are more gifted and talented than you. I have never led any team, small or large, that hasn't had more gifted people on it, that are, that are gifted people that are more gifted than me. I've never had one. But I'm assured by God, you're to be the, the guy that leads the team. It's not because you're the best, you can do everything better. You're the guy I called. I don't know how James could stand up in the Jerusalem church because that's the brother of Jesus, the guy who didn't believe if you're really God. If you are, you are, go down and show yourself. That's the James. Didn't even believe in you. Now he says, guys, we've, he's like the anchor man in the team. And who's in that team? Peter, James, John. Peter and John. You've got to make room. Because if I stay using me, and I'm not in leadership anymore, so I can use me, but if I just hang around there, I'm going to lose what I've got. But what I'm going to get is a reputation from the guy saying, well, he's at least faithful. Faithful to who? God and my call? Or their wants and their insecurities? So if I leave so that God can keep you, then I'm a rebel. Heads you win, tails I lose. Con win. Either way, that whatever way the coin falls, I've lost. Isn't it better just to use your brains and say, I don't want seven guys like me or 12 guys like me or 50 guys like me or 100 guys like me. I want the whole 10 captains of 10s, 50s, 100s, guys with one talent, two talents, five talents, everything that Romans 10, I think it is, <laughs> kind of blank here for a moment, all those gift ministries and the Ephesians 4 ministries and everything, I want it all on team with me if I can... Not in our local church, translocally, but in our local church, everything God can give us. Make room. You with me? Took too long there. The second thing we find here in Acts chapter 6 and 7 is the necessity of God's presence power in our midst and in our lives, the guarantee of success. And you'll find that in Acts 7 verses 9 and through to 10 in Acts 2.47. And then the third little thing, and I'm, I, this is just an outline before I touch some more stuff here, is that we need to understand, these are the things that, that come out of Acts 6 and 7 about leadership. We need truly to really honestly understand that God truly dwells not in buildings. Temples made of stone, but in the human hearts. Acts seven forty eight. When we understand that, it'll change our whole attitude that God actually is not so interested in the building as in people. We start then to see the value of the people in front of us. And that sometimes we may have to let some things go that we, don't, we would like to have in our building. 
That's why for me, personally, I believe if you ever have a building, make it multi, multi-purpose building where you can play basketball, where you can let people use it for stuff around the, the community, etc. No candlesticks in the front and glass, stained glass windows. I'm not wanting to knock that. For the day that they, when those things were built, it was the best they knew. Talking about us today. Those are godly people who did godly things. Not knocking that. But when we really, we, we use into it with God. And they know some stuff that's better than we do. I know that. But there's some stuff that we, we, God's shown us today that we need to live in. His people are more important than buildings. We handle them differently, carefully, gently, lovingly, redemptively. I remember Darren saying one day when we were getting, having to leave that building, he was saying he was standing in the building and the roof started to collapse. It was one of those indicators from God. He felt that was saying, get out of this place. It's no good. We've had our time here. Well, imagine if Darren said, look, we've got a whole lot of people on our staff and we've got a whole lot of stuff that we need to be, that we're involved in with around the nations, but we're just going to cut it all and fix this, this building. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Some people are born leaders. Put your hand up if you believe you were born a leader. There are very few, but there's some. Most of us become through the grace of God. And many of the best leaders that God has in the church were actually reluctant leaders. You find them in the Bible. It's full of them. But most good leadership is caught from hanging around with good leaders. Now, I want to start with who's the best leader the church has ever had? Jesus. Hang around with him. Spend time with him. You catch who you hang with. I think it's a book of Proverbs that says that the people you hang around with, you become like. Hang with Jesus, but then hang with good human, in body form, people, leaders, godly, that are doing something for God, that you can look over their shoulder and say, there's something real here. With its, with its imperfections, there's something real here. Hang with the right guys, not just with your buddies. Spend some time and let the people, when you become a good leader, let the, the guys who are feeling the call of God for leadership, let them hang with you. Don't be so busy, you haven't got time for them. Jesus was looking after the entire universe. And he goes and spends three and a half years with 12 guys. You can't outdo Jesus, guys. I'm telling you now, listen to me. You cannot outdo Jesus, no matter how much you, how good you think you are, you fail. 
Spend some, let people spend some time with you. And you spend some time with leaders that have gone further than you. And I want to tell you something. God is so committed to all of you that he will provide those guys for a while. And if you don't grab it, the man who led me to Christ, Mr. McFarlane, old man, 70-something years younger than I am, and I call him old, but when I was, got saved, he, he was an old man. I could not get enough time being with that guy. Every time Ann and I found we didn't have anything to do for the next half an hour, I'd say, let's go and see Mr. Mac, because he was staying in Ann's auntie's house. And I'd go and sit there with the guy, and I'd preach at him, and, and he just... He was so gracious. I wish I could be like him sometimes. He just used to sit and say, wow, it's great that you found it. Wow. When I look back and I think of what I said to him, I wonder if he wasn't saying, wow. But he's only, he was only there for a, a time. God will bring these guys. And then when I went down to Cape Town to Bible College, can you believe it? God moved him from Canada back to South Africa in Cape Town and he became the vice principal for a while. Mr. and Mrs. McFarlane, Anne and I were forever being there. Whenever we could, just be with him. I just wanted to, and it just was rubbing off on me. And then he was gone and now he's in heaven. God brings people. Now, they're not all going to die. Some of them, God's got these guys, and he'll just help them to go and help pastors around the, the city or the country or the world, depending on who they are. Don't miss your time. In every city, they're there. They're there. And if you're in a village, they're not too far away. Seriously, I hope you hear me. All right. Essentially, in a sense, leadership attributes or leadership requirements, I don't like the word requirements, but leadership attributes should really exemplify Christian maturity. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the husband of one wife. Oh, well, that's for leaders. I'm not a leader. Not given to much wine. Oh, that's for leaders. I'm not a leader. I can drink like I like. Not a lover of filthy lucre. That's for leaders. Not when we make that separation, we've lost the first and foremost thing that God's trying to say. This is a picture of Christian maturity. I expect my leaders to be mature, and this is maturity. It's for everyone. It's for the guy who got saved on Sunday and for the guy who's the, the big shot guy in the church. It's for everyone. Equally. Because it's maturity. So it's much more what you are than what you could do or should be doing. I've got it here now. I said, I can't remember if it's 12 or 13. I see it here. 12 things to be Two things you must do in that one, uh, in one, uh, one Timothy three, the, the first thirteen verses. 
So catch good leadership. I don't want to spend too much more time on that. The second thing here is that leaders really do need to sort out their priorities and then delegate to those who qualify. Only the word qualify is even wrong, but I'm trying to say God doesn't just let anybody lead. He wants them to show maturity and exemplify what it means to lead in the body of Christ. The body of, you know, I don't want to be misunderstood on this, and if this gets out into the world, it can create problems for us. But I wonder if we all think, well, the, the leader of the, of the world is the president of the United States of America. And that's so important. But I wonder, from God's economy, if that's more important than those who lead his, and, and care for his bride. Now, I don't know. I'm just saying to you, hey, see what God really means. You're not just some anybody who just can do anything you like. You are the things that God wants to work in you to be that. Right. Got to skip through that. Importance of leadership certain kinds of leaders, but also from that we get also the, the necessity of God's presence in our lives, which is the guarantee of success. Joseph in prison, from being a prisoner to prime minister. Why? Because it says God was with him. God was with him. See, the presence of God isn't some ethereal thing. The presence of God is God with us. And yes, God comes upon us for special tasks by anointing, but it's God with us. And Jesus tried to show us that, Emmanuel, God with us. But what he did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was the anointed one, and he says at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 6, the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me, for he has anointed me, me the anointed one, to do these things. God with us. Hezekiah granted success. Hezekiah, I mean Moses, leading Israel, accept your presence, goes with me, with us. Don't send me. And that wasn't God, give me some ethereal experiences. That's, hey God, you've you got to be with us. Accept your presence is with us. As we're building this church, as we're going on this journey, as you're taking us from here to there in Christ, be with us. All that you are, be with us. It guarantees us success. It guarantees us fruitfulness. I've got these scriptures, but I'm, it guarantees us authority. It guarantees us the miraculous, the presence of God with us. You'll see this all in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, the 17th chapter, just go, as you go through. It guarantees us harvest. It guarantees us joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. It guarantees us strength. They that wait upon the Lord, 
He renews our strength, etc. It guarantees us pleasure and satisfaction. In my presence is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Peace. My presence will go with you. And I will give you peace. That's in Exodus 33, 14, Psalm 23, verse 2. Caused me to lie down in green pastures, still waters. He even gives me his peace, presence, power, and victory, even in the presence of my enemies, etc. And guarantees this protection. I wish I could give you all the scriptures. I'm just trying to pick bits and pieces out of here. All right. I'm sorry I'm just skipping through this, but time is going. From the book of Acts, the second chapter, I want to give you what I believe and what I see are signs of a healthy church. These are the things that I believe are some of the key passages of the book of Acts that made them what they were, as successful, effective, fruitful as they were. In Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to 47, and Acts chapter 4 verses 32 to 36, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, Acts chapter, 32 verse, Acts chapter 4 verses 32 to 36. And we see seven things that are so important. I'll give them to you, and I don't know whether we'll have time to actually go into them, but let me give you these. First of all, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first three of these, or four, four of these are all in those first, five of these are all in these, seven of these are all in these first few verses. Just skimming my eye down here. I love, the, what was, what are the signs of a healthy church for your church and what is God trying to do that we can learn from the book of Acts? First of all is they had a love for God and for God's word. And that, I've got in my notes, slash, or this way, what's that? Uh, not hyphen. Yes. Yeah. And then a love for God and his word, promise blessing. Now, it's interesting that there's a prep coming to that part. It says here that these guys devoted themselves. to the apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, etc., etc. They devote. That word devoted is such a difficult word for us to understand because it has to do with commitment. But it's not dogged commitment. It's actually a love term. I don't want my wife to stand in the front of the church when we got married and say, I will commit myself to this man. It's I love him enough to commit myself to death to us part. It's that kind of, there's enough love here. It's a love term. They devoted themselves to the word of God, to God and his word. And that was brought promised blessing. I hope I can just go back and touch these after I give you the seven. Secondly, they had a love for God's people, not only God and his word, but his people. In other words, fellowship. They enjoyed God's people. Also in Acts 2.44, 
They devote themselves to the word, the, the, Lord, the word of the Lord and to the fellowship. I'm missing out the prayer, coming to it. Do you love being with God's people? Here's the thing we need to ask ourselves, because most of us, if not all of us, are leaders. Do you as a leader love being with God's people, or are they just an irritant that you've got to get past every Sunday? Get through with it. Is there a, hey, I want to be there. Can't wait to see Mrs. Brown forever giving me problems. That I don't know how to handle her, but God loves her, and he's entrusted her to us in this church. Can't wait to get there and see what God might do today. Want to be with him. If any of your name's Brown, I'm not talking about your wife. <laughs> You're thinking that was a prophetic word. <clears throat> Thirdly, they devoted themselves, that love word, a love for the Lord's table, the sacraments, to the breaking of bread. Acts 2.42. Do you love to break bread? Remembering all that it's, that's in it. And I've got it all here that I don't know if I can ever get to teach it. A love for baptism. They devoted themselves to baptisms, which is, what is that? A love for total identification with Christ and his lordship. That's what baptism is. I totally identify with Christ as my Lord. That's why I'm saying when I go under this water, the old Dudley, the guy you knew, is dead, buried. And now look at this guy coming out. He looks the same. He's totally different. Christ is now his Lord. He used to live for himself. He used to be ruled for, by himself. He always chose everything the best for himself. He went under the now, Christ. Total identification. It's not a ritual. They loved it. And I love to see God's people being baptized, but meaning it. I am tired of seeing guys get baptized and we don't see them again. Three, four months later, they're no longer the center of attraction. They're gone. No identification with the lordship of Jesus Christ. You've got them and that's happened in your church. If you've been going for more than a year, you've, got, you've had it happen in your church where they just used you because they were the center of attraction because we're all making a fuss over them and it's their big coronation. It's their big burial and then his coronation in their lives that's act 241 they had a love for prayer which is fellowship with God prayer is talking to God prayer is not only asking from God it's talking to God it's fellowshipping with God. It's walking along the beach sometimes and saying, man, Lord, I don't understand how you could stop this water. I know the scientists are discovering stuff, but it doesn't, you've set its boundaries. I don't know how I can be standing here on a round earth and look there and it looks higher on the horizon. I, I, I don't know how you got all this right. I don't know how I could see that shooting star last night. Some comment, 
those stars up there, millions, billions of light years away. I don't know how I can, I don't know how you get these trees to grow in this kind of growth. Dust, this beauty. Just talking to God and saying, hey God, I don't want to do all the talking. Is there anything you want to say back? You know, we get so used to, we preach and we do all the talking that when, when we, you watch two preachers trying to have fellowship with each other generally. <laughs> They're so used to talking that they just, they know, they're experts on everything. Can't wait, the guy's still in mid-sentence, but. Or yes, yes, you're right, but. Don't be like that with God. I hope you're laughing because you're saying, hey, that's true in my life. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've got to say, still today, it's still true in my life. More talking sometimes than God says, hey, man, wouldn't you just cool it for a while? Now, I don't know that he uses that term. I don't think God's that cool. <clears throat> but I love for prayer. In Acts 2.43, I love for the reverence of God, awe. And in Acts 2.43, they had a love for his kingdom coming, the supernatural. His kingdom coming in their midst, the supernatural. Power, signs, wonders, miracles, even miracles of salvation. But somehow we've lost the wonder of that miracle. Caught up with some other miracles, which we need, but we shouldn't focus on. All the miracles, signs, wonders, miracles, power, whatever. But listen to me now. You, when you look at the book of Acts, as a natural part of their togetherness life, all of those things, a love for God's kingdom coming in their midst, power, signs, wonders, miracles, etc., as a natural part, Go into the Bible and try to find where they said we're going to have a healing meeting. We're going to have a power meeting. We're going to have a tarrying meeting. We're going to have a soaking meeting. We're going to have a worship meeting. We're going to have a singing meeting. We're going to have a preaching meeting. We're going to have a... We're going to even have an evangelistic crusade. Just a natural part of life. God in their midst. Guy's walking to them to his temple. Guy says, hey, sir, can you give me something? Got anything, a little bit of money? He says, man, I don't have anything. I'll tell you what I've got. And a miracle. Stand up, man. In the name of Jesus, stand up. And the guy jumps up walking and leaping. Just miracle. Hey, he didn't say, guys, all be at the temple, nine o'clock when I get there. We're going to have a miracle meeting. You're going to, this is going to be outstanding. This, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, like we're advertising the guys coming. Listen, man, I want to tell you something. Generally, if you could get Paul in full flight, Paul the Apostle, in full flight to your meeting on Sunday, and you build, have this build-up, people will be disappointed with Paul because he can never come up to the, some of the, the hype I hear people building up so-and-so's so coming to our church. 
just the natural part. Hey, by the way, Paul's here today. And if I can be naughty for a few minutes, I wonder, I wonder sometimes, seriously, if Paul came to one of our breaking of bread services, and I'm standing at the back, and Paul walks, and, and we're breaking bread. You know, we've got those little cups, little plastic things. Some of us have still got a loaf, and others have got a little bit of matzo, or we went and bought a biscuit somewhere, broke a little piece off. Paul walks in, and he's, hmm, Dudley, what's going on here? Oh, we're breaking bread. What, what does that mean? You break, you know, that stuff in the Bible that you guys talked about. Ah. So, so what's happening now? What's that, what's that stuff in that little plastic cup? Grape juice. Ah, why grape juice? Well, it's, don't you know it represents the blood of Jesus? Oh, we had a cup. Jesus had a cup. Oh, no, we don't have cups. We have little... I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying we've lost the significance of it all. And, now, and he says, so where's the food? No, we're breaking bread. Where's the bread? Well, see that stuff there? You see oh, that little cracker? Little cream cracker, a little whatever. You say, man, you know, we, we used to have to tell guys, we had such good food on those tables, we had to tell guys, if you're hungry and you can't wait, eat at home, don't come and fight for the food. Who's going to fight over a biscuit? <laughs> that small little pile of that. Do it at home, get, get yourself fed, man. I wonder. Now, you're saying don't stop that, are of course not. I'm saying let's get back to the significance of what this is and occasionally in our church or in our homes or somewhere, have a meal and in it break bread. Where guys go home and say, man, alive, that was good. Spiritually and man. I wish that I could still eat all that meat and that stuff that those guys may have been eating in those days, fish and all that stuff. I can't eat that stuff anymore just because of this mess up in my life. But that's still my desire to see it on the tables there because I don't get, feel like I'm getting left out when you guys eat a nice big fat piece of steak or a burger. Stuff's oozing out. I haven't had a burger in about nine, ten years. And I look at them in the address. One day I'm going to have that back in heaven. And then I see a fajita. Look at this. And I hear the sizzling. As they, and I think, I can't eat that bread, but man, I'm going to have it in heaven. I even look at fat cook. For those of you who know what I'm talking about. And I think, one day I'll have that stuff in heaven. Because stuff on earth... I wonder if we're not going to have some of it like that in heaven. It'll be better, cooked better, whatever. But we're going to, man, it's going to be delicious. Let's get ready for feasting up there. There's a, there's a wedding feast coming our way, flat out. Let's get touches of it, glimpses of it when we break bread. We can't do it every Sunday, but don't lose the significance of it all. Oh, brother, this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for us. 
This is the cup of his shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. I remember once on the hill, I'm, excuse me when being naughty, when I, the first communion service, uh, Darren, I don't know, were you there when I first got there? I want people, I would, uh, just after. Because I want you to know I'm telling the truth. I'm looking for, Rudy, you were, oh, no, you came just after me too. Were you there? When they had that, that thing that I didn't know how to operate. I'm the pastor, and, and we're going to break bread. And all these people are dressed in their little special outfits for Sunday. Men and women, a few of them, they're going to hand the bread out. Were you there, Paul? And I'm like looking at this thing and I'm trying to, I'm like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do here? How do, where is this stuff? It's in this gold thing. Somebody, somewhere or the other, we discovered how to get it open. I can't remember if somebody helped me, but anyway, eventually we got this stuff out. Got this lid undone and a magic abracadabra stuff like I hope you're not walking out because I'm offending you because that happened in that meeting. <clears throat> so I look up and I've eventually got this stuff in my hands and I start laughing. I found it funny that here's the pastor. He doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't learned the tricks. I look up and, and, and I can, I mean, people are scowling at me. My first communion service. And I'm lying, and, and, and got one of the people who walked out actually told me later, that's about the death of Christ. There's no joy in that. You used to mourn. I said, man, I can't look at that without seeing the resurrection. Come on now, the resurrection's joy. Anyway, I look up and, and here's this group of people and and, they, and then these people, they've come, they're coming forward now in their little outfits, little religious things. And something inside of me just could not handle it. <laughs> just could not. And I, I hope I wasn't ungracious. I just looked and I said, hey, wait a minute, guys. Is there anybody in this meeting who's not served, given, had a chance, ever been given a chance to serve God's people? And you remember this guy, rock musician puts up his hand. He says, I can still see him. He's got this blue vest that I don't know when last it was washed. I don't know. hope he never hears this thing. And he's got these shorts before we bought second stuff that I would chuck away that we now pay big bucks for, torn, ripped up rammies and clothes. And before that was even in fashion, this is way back. He's, he's dressed in this stuff. And he's got these dirty not even Jesus-type sandals, just something on the end of his feet. And he's the first guy who puts his hand up. And there's like this. And I said, I didn't know who he was. I said, I was trying to find out, are you Christian? Like, and he is. He's, he loves Christ. So I said, bro, come here. Come and take this stuff. And then... When he lifts his hands, he's got this stuff hanging underneath his arms. It's just like, and I know this, you better pack your bags and go back to South Africa. You are finished. A woman that was sitting there, she'd been in the church, that church from its inception. 
Before it fell apart, she was there, still there. You know what I'm talking about, scouting kind of mistress type woman. She comes to me, she said, I've been coming to this, while I was down in somewhere else, I've been coming to this church for all these years, never have I been able to bring my kids here because I knew they'd be rejected. Now I can bring them. I know I can bring them, they'll be accepted. Just broke this religious thing. But because I was joyful, people left. What are we doing with this thing called a love for the sacraments? I hope you're with me on this, eh? Man, go back and the next time you break bread, encourage people to break bread in their homes. People come visit you that are believers. Just say, hey guys, before you leave, have you got five minutes? Let's just break bread together. We've had a nice meal here. Let's just at the end of this, just take a little bit of the cup and the, the bread. Just remember Jesus, etc. doesn't have to be done by ordained preachers. And then we move to the 15th chapter of Acts. Some of the things that I believe are key that we see in the Word of God. I'm hoping I can come back to that, but I, I, I'm beginning to doubt more and more whether I can get there and, and really explain what I'm trying to say. Tempted to start, but I better not. In Acts chapter 15, verses 16 to 18, it, it says that he must remain in heaven in time of the, in time, until the restoration of all things. God's going to restore. Before Christ comes back, God's going to restore. He's the, he's the restore what David's fallen tabernacle. Now, what does that mean? And when I've preached on this, and I've preached on this since before the Bryanston days, before 1980, when, or whenever it was that I went there, what does David's fallen tabernacle mean? It doesn't mean we're going to have a tabernacle, we're going to build a tabernacle again and all these things in it. There were certain things about David and the worship and, and the life of God in their midst that God wants to restore that we've lost. And I want to share with you just a few of those things that I see. And I didn't realize the importance of this verse. It took me some time. David's time was one, a time of tremendous praise. Praise like I think most churches have still got to learn. He had musicians, stuff that happened went on and on and on. The worship, I mean the Psalms give you some idea of what's in his heart. God wants to restore times of praise like we've never seen before. Because we've got more to praise God for than David had. It was pre-Jesus, pre-New Covenant. We have a better covenant than the one he had. Choirs, prolonged, sustained, 24 hours a day, worship, pray, dancing. David danced or danced. And there was a time when that was happening so much in the church. 
20 years ago, the exuberance, 30 years ago, the exuberance that was starting, and somewhere it's got lost again. And even those who used to, now they're standing. Extravagant music. Skilled musicians. God wants to restore that. Secondly, and I mean, there's, there's so much we could talk about on that, seriously. It was, David's time was also a time of effective prayer. So many of the Psalms were honest and effective prayer. We still use them today as prayers. God's wanting to take us back to where that kind of prayer comes from the church back into the body of Christ, up into heaven again. In actual fact, the book of Revelation talks about an angel coming to the end and taking that altar, that the incense, and, and, and it gets so charismatic when he, he tips it, all the prayers of the saints, and down on earth there's shaking and thunder, earthquake. God was looking for that kind of prayer so that that kind of response can come, whether we're having this stuff happen on earth, visitations of God, etc. Thirdly, David's time was a time of powerful prophecy. God's wanting to restore powerful prophecy. Not, yea, my children, I love you. God just wants you to know that he loves you. I know God loves me. And I may be one of those people occasionally that does need a little word of encouragement, especially picked out. But surely God can give us better than that. And yet it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, 31, David was a prophet. And what a, seeing what lay ahead, he spoke. Powerful prophecy. God wants to restore where we're seeing what God has and what's coming our way. We're, we're not caught off God. We're ready. Seeing what lies ahead, he spoke. If I quote the King James, he spake. Fourthly, David's time was a time of tremendous growth. Under David, they took more territory than at any other time before that. His people. You can look at 2 Samuel 5, verses 9 and 10, and 2 Samuel 8, verses 1 through to 14, and you see something of what I'm talking about. Tremendous growth. God wants to restore into the church tremendous growth. Where literally the promise of Isaiah 61 is, the least of you shall become a thousand. Where people are saying, you only got a thousand people. Yeah, well, I'm one of the least. And then, a mighty nation, a nation of believers. God wants to do something. God wants to restore that. It's, this is Acts 15. You see, what I'm saying is, hey, we need to actually, you know, in actual fact, in Amos chapter 9, God actually says, God does nothing without first revealing it to the prophets. God wants to reveal things, but getting back to what I was trying to say there. God wants for us to grow in such a way that we can't handle without his help. 
Fifth, David's time was a time of tremendous victories, personal in his own life. They sang in 1 Samuel 16, 7, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, I think it's chapter 16. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Tremendous victories in his personal life. God wants that in our personal lives. But also with his armies, one after the other, they just took over. And that's what God wants to restore, victory back into the life of the church, where we're not this little group that meets on a Sunday somewhere that the government says is irrelevant and I wish they're just not there. They're wasting space, breath, air, water, food. There's hardly a government in the world that could care two hoots about the church. They'll care more about other religions than Christ's. He wants to restore to where the church is effective, victory, victorious. It was a time of tremendous deliverances. David's time. Even little things like he played his little musical instrument and the devil, the demon, had to depart for a season. Deliverances from spirits. Deliverances from people like Saul. People that are after us, want to blot us out. God wants to restore that. Deliverances of cities. Cities were delivered because of David in his time. You could look at Psalm 34, verse 4 to 8, and Psalm 54, verse 7, etc. It was also a time of. Ex if, now, listen to this one, it's so important. David's time, and this is what God wants to restore, it was a time also of effective shepherding of sheep. David was willing to fight a lion barehanded. And he was willing to fight a bear. And he was willing to fight a giant with five little stones and a, piece, and a little sling. Why? Why did he do these? Because of the sheep. God's people and the physical sheep before that. Tremendous shepherding. When David went to see his brothers, he, looked, he made sure that the sheep were being looked after. God wants to restore that heart to us as shepherds where we care that much about the sheep, the lambs. In actual fact, when you read some parts of the Word of God, you see God saying, you guys didn't do that, I'll do it myself, and I'll have to remove you. I'll have to do it. It was also a, type of, a time of great leadership and authority. Great leadership, great authority. 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 through to 12. All of these are a message on their own. A time of great leadership and authority. Number nine, it was a time where he had a great heart, like the heart after God's own heart. God wants to restore that heart back into the shepherds and into the sheep, where the sheep don't muddy the water, trample one another, where the shepherds care 
like he cares. A great heart. God's still looking for a men and women like, with a heart like his own. After his own. One that wants to go for after him. Wants to reflect him. His heart. God wants to restore that. It's a time of tremendous influence, number 10. And I look and I've, we've got seven minutes left and we've got to go. Number 11, it was a time of strong and lasting friendships. Please listen to me. A time of strong and lasting friendships. David's time and friendship with Jonathan. That friendship was so deep that even when his father was trying to kill him, Jonathan protected him. God wants to restore those kind of friendships in the body of Christ. You know, it's a good thing if you just stop for a while and be honest with you. Think about how many people you can truly say that guy is that kind of a friend. Not, well, we've been friends for 25 years. Strong friendship. That lasts. How many of those guys, truthfully, I remember I used to stand up and say two or three guys that were with me on team, that if I walked into my bedroom and found that guy with my wife alone, not on bed, but just, I wouldn't, I, I trust them enough. That, some of those guys booted me. God doesn't want that kind of stuff. They kicked me in the gut. God wants strong, lasting friendships. And David had many of those throughout his lifetime. Some of these older guys wanted to come with him. Some of them he said, go back into the city. Our friendship is good enough, strong enough. Look, I know you look after my interests. That's kind of friends. Number 12. The time of David's time was a time of unexpected choices. What do you mean by that? Well, David was not even expected. He wasn't even thought of. And God chose him. Bypassed his brothers. Overlooked by his dad. Overlooked by everybody. An unexpected choice. And I'm telling you that the future has, when God's able to restore what he wants, you're going to get amazed by the unexpected choices. You're going to look at the big guys and say, look at these guys, man. Look what they now doing. And it's going to be those people we least expected. That even father figures in the body of Christ are overlooking today. Just, that's what God wants to restore. I'm asking you, be ready. You may be one of those unexpected choices, or God may have in your church some of them. And when we begin to understand, these are some of the important passages in the, of why the church was so effective. These statements, these things are not put in there, just historical events. It's what God wants to do, what he's trying to restore back into the life of the church. And everything that has been stolen from us, and I have got here a list that I used to use in Bryanston of what has been restored, of truth, 
what was stolen and what is most needed. And I'm just, these, what, what God has restored over the decades in the church, truths. And what's been stolen, what's got lost, stuff we used to know, gone. God's restoring it all. All the emphases of the past that somewhere became big and then just got lost like most everything happens. It's just like for a little while and then we move to the next novel, new thing. It's going to restore them all. And I'd love to have been able to go through that. Can't. So, when you go to the book of Acts in the future, remember it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and say, Father, will you help me to see for my life and our church right now. And so just let's say that table was the leadership of the church I'm in, that table there. Each one of them is praying that. And so God shows him something, him something, him something, him something, him, him. And when they sit together together, they get so much more than just what God showed him. You hear me? God show us what's needed for our lives for our church. What you're trying to restore, we've lost. What can we learn from this book of Acts? Each and every chapter. Help me to see the highlight thing. Your church can never be the same. You don't have to preach better. You don't have to get big shot preachers in. You don't have to change all the stuff that attracts people. You'll just see God bringing people in and lives being changed. When we just get back to the Word of God led by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, the stuff we release bursts by the Holy Spirit in our hearts instead of copying, importing. Let's stand together. You've been sitting for so long, I don't know how you can manage it. Just stretch your legs a bit. That's all I'm trying to give you. You don't have to stand. I'm just, if you need to. Again, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that there is something, a clarion call ringing in the earth today where you're speaking to your people around the world. You're speaking through different mouthpieces. No one's got a handle on it all. You're using all sorts of people all over the world. We look around the world, Lord, we, we're amazed at some of the places that we think are pretty primitive. And we see what you're doing there that you're not doing in our midst and we need so much. Help us to be open, learn, respond to you. Let you do and be what you want to do and be in our lives and in our church. Have your own way, Lord. Hear us, Father, please, in Jesus' name. Have your way. Oh, we want to just put aside our own ways and say, have your way. You're a good God. You wouldn't bring anything into our lives or allow it if it were not for our good. You work everything for our good. We want to trust you. Start believing you. Even when we don't understand, Lord, take us beyond what we can put in a little box. Let the wind blow where it pleases. Wind blow wherever you please. Blow through our churches.
blow out the muck and blow in the life. Blow in the truth. Come, Lord. Do what you want to do in our churches, in our midst, in our families, with our kids, with our friends, in our cities. Oh, God, you said righteousness exalts a nation. Bring it into our nations. Wherever we're representing a nation here, bring it to that nation, oh, God. In Jesus' name, hear us, Father. Please, we're looking to you. We know in actual fact we shouldn't have to plead. We, you don't really want us to. But Father, we, we, we've just messed it up so badly. We just need to let you know we're trying to tell you we've been honest, sincere, and open with you. Hear us and come. Thank you that you're more desirous of blessing us than we're desirous of being blessed. Bless us that we may be a blessing and bless others. Just pour into us that we may pour out and give to others what you give to us and more. Multiply it like you did with the five loaves and the the few fish. Multiply whatever you give us that we can give away. Multiply it, just explode it across the earth. Truth as well as all these other things. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.